You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll be taking a look at how we can stay on God's frequency and cultivate a daily relationship that allows us to hear his voice clearly. Let's get started. There are three essential, important P's that are necessary if we're really going to hear from God. And I want to start in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. And Hebrews 4 and 16 says this. It says, Let us therefore come boldly, boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love this verse, and it's a significant verse for any and every believer, because this verse in Hebrews 4 and verse 16 really reminds us of one of the most important things I think that any believer can remember and hold on to, and that is that we have open access to God, and that is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. This is the significance of the veil uh, being torn the moment that he gave up his life, and because what that symbolized is that we no longer have to have a priest once a year on the Day of Atonement to go into the Holy of Holies, which was the Jewish custom. It, it literally means that now, because of uh, Jesus' sacrifice and because he was our atonement, that because of his sacrifice and being our one atoning sacrifice, the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, that because of him and his shed blood and his sacrifice, we all can now boldly go into God's presence. And this is important because this also um, really pertains to our ability to also hear from God. Because when you're talking about hearing from God, it's it's about His presence, but it's also about what He wants to say to us. And it's important for you and I to understand that, yes, God will speak to us through other people, but, but you also have the ability to hear from God yourself. And I shared this earlier in the series back in May, one of the uh, main tenets of teaching that I shared in May is that when we are born again, uh, we are born with the ability to hear from God. It's an innate ability. That's a part of being sheep. Sheep, the Bible says, recognizes the voice of the shepherd. And so when you and I are born again, we dealt with this, that innate ability to hear God's voice is a part of our new DNA and our new spiritual makeup. And so that's why we have the ability to not only go boldly to the throne and get into God's presence, but in particular to hear his voice. But what I want to share with you tonight, though, is kind of the next step to that, and that's this. The key to being able to hear God's voice regularly is really contingent upon how we grow in our relationship with him. Now, Hebrews 4, that we just read a moment ago in 16, is clear that we have the ability and we have the opportunity to go boldly into God's presence, to go boldly to the throne of His grace. But growing in our relationship with God is really about doing that regularly. A lot of times we, we only really seek God when we are in trouble. But I want you to understand that in order to grow in your relationship with Him, it means you've got to spend more time with Him. I mean, think about any kind of relationship that you want to have with anyone, whether it's professional or personal or platonic. In order to grow that relationship, a part of growing that relationship means spending more time with them. And that's the same thing as it relates to growing our relationship with God. We have access to the throne, 
But whether or not you use that access on a consistent basis will determine whether or not you grow in your relationship or if your relationship becomes stale and stagnant. And this is important because on last week I shared with you the variety of ways that the Bible lays out that God speaks. I took a lot of time, even went over my time, because I wanted to make sure that you got all of those ways that God speaks. And while God speaks to us in a variety of ways, the real question, though, is do we have the ability to really hear from him? And what I want you to understand tonight is is that that ability is really steeped in the context of our relationship with God. It's kind of like, you know, because I've been married for an extended period of time, I can call my wife and just say, hey, and go into what I want to share with her, and she knows it's me. She, she doesn't wonder, well, who is this calling? Because we've been spending so much time together that she recognizes my voice. It's the same thing with God, that, that the more time you spend with him, the more you deepen your walk with him, the more you will be able to discern and hear his voice clearly, no matter how he decides to speak. So tonight I want to give you three Ps, three Ps that are critical to really hearing from God consistently, being able to identify his voice in a clear manner. And by three Ps, I want to give you three things, three keys tonight. Number one, our relationship with God must be our highest priority. That's the first P, priority. If you want to really be able to hear God's voice in a consistent manner, to be able to discern in the variety of ways that God speaks, that God, this is you speaking to me in this moment then number one, our relationship with God has to be our highest priority. Now, let me tell you at the onset that this is what the enemy wants to disrupt. The enemy understands the benefits, the power, and the authority that we have when we are in right relationship with God. So from the very beginning, the enemy's plan is is not extensive. It's simple. His plan has always been to disrupt this relationship. He, He understands, in other words, the power that we operate with and have when we're plugged into the power source, which is God. And so what the enemy wants to do more than anything else is really to unplug us from that power source. And the way that the enemy tries to unplug us from the power source or to disrupt our relationship with God is literally by trying to convince us that it is more pleasurable, watch this, to disobey God than to obey him. A lot of times what the enemy does is he tries to convince us that we're missing out somehow. You know, that that God is withholding some good things from us and that sin is the solution. This was his strategy from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. And my grandmother used to say, baby, the devil doesn't have any new tricks. And that's true. Doesn't have any new tricks. He's not doing anything new. He's not doing anything different. It's the same strategy that he used with Adam and Eve, and let me show it to you. In Genesis 3 and verse 5 through 6, this is what the enemy says to Eve, and notice what happens. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says, listen, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. He's already planting that seed that God's holding something from you. And watch this, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and she ate of it. He's whispering this lie to her, God's holding something from you. 
man, if you eat this fruit, God knows you're going to be like him and you're going to have great insight. And so he whispers this lie to her. And truthfully, this is the same lie that the enemy whispers to us today. He wants us to think that sin is the solution. That if you sin, man, you know, you're going to have joy and it's going to be easier and you're going to have peace and, oh, and it'll be pleasurable. But what's interesting is the very thing that Satan tries to get us to do, because he's trying to tell us that that is going to make us happy, will cause us to lose what we already have, and that's a great relationship with God. Now, let me be clear, because there are a number of people who believe that if you do something wrong, you'll lose your salvation. And No, you can't lose your salvation. But you can lose the closeness and the intimacy of the relationship that you need to have with God in order to really hear his voice. As a matter of fact, that's what sin does. Sin separates us from God. That's, that's all sin does. It, it separates us from God. And so the enemy tries to convince you, oh, well, you know, if you do that, it's not a big deal. And oh, it'll, oh, it'll make you feel better. I mean, how many times have you heard that from the enemy? Oh, it'll make you feel better. You deserve a break today. The truth, though, is if you have Jesus, not only do we have righteousness, but we have peace, we have joy, we have satisfaction, we have so much more. But this is why our relationship with him has to be our highest priority. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, man, is it that deep? If I mess up, am I just going to completely lose the ability to connect with God? When we sin, when we mess up, when we make mistakes, God lavishes his grace upon us. But the truth is, we shouldn't have to keep going through that cycle. Have you ever been trying to develop a relationship with someone, and, and maybe you take them to lunch a couple of times and spend a little bit of time with them, and you're like, oh, they're, they're pretty cool, but, but before you just fully open up, you, your, your thing is, I want to spend a little bit more time with them. But then what happens when, you know, maybe it's their job, or maybe it's just everybody's busy schedule, you guys can't consistently spend time together, so you have that time apart, right? Then when you come back together, you have to start over, don't you? You're kind of like, oh, okay, you, you got the awkwardness at first, and then, you know, you, you kind of get going again, and then what happens when you guys separate, when you don't speak for a while? Then when you come back together, guess what? You got to start over again. That's kind of what happens when we keep going through this cycle of, of just, you know, God, I want you, I want to spend more time with you, I want to grow closer to you, but yet sin is still controlling my life, so now I'm separated from you. Then we say, oh, no, I got to get it together. I want to go back. Let me, let me oh, God, I want to get closer to you. I, you know, this fast is important. I really want to spend more time with you. It, it's that back and forth. That's that cycle that God doesn't want and we shouldn't want either. This is why Romans 6 and 1 says, you know, well, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase? Yes, God gives us grace. Yes, he forgives. But the Bible says by no means. We don't continue to sin so that grace may abound. We, we've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Meaning we've got to make it up in our mind that we don't want to keep going over and over and over again in that cycle. Because, because there are repercussions. Let me show it to you. When Adam and Eve sinned, one of the things that it did is it directly affected their ability to hear from God. God would, God would speak to them daily. They would spend time together with God daily. And, and we know that it wasn't just you know, 
hey, how are you doing? You're good. No, I mean, God would literally commune with them. So much so that if you read the creation account, God gave Adam the ability to name all of the animals. So, I mean, think about this. Wrap your mind around this for a second. Adam and God are hanging out. This is even before Eve comes along. They're hanging out, and they're talking, and God, and God says, hey, look at that big, big gray thing with the long trunk. Adam, what do you think about that? What do you, th- what do you think we ought to call that? And Adam's like, you know, it, an, you know it's kind of an elephant. God, I think we ought to call it an elephant. I mean, that's the kind of dialogue they're having. But all of that changes when sin entered the picture. Look at Genesis 3 and verse 8 in your notes, and it says this. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord. This is after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. After they fall from, for, for, the, for the devil's tricks. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Adam, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. He said, I, I heard you, but I didn't really want to respond to you. I was hiding from you because I'm naked and I, I was afraid. Now think about this. I don't know this for certain, but maybe God had their whole day planned out. Maybe God wanted to say, man, let's, let's go over to the other side of the garden. Let's talk about a few things. Or I want to show you something. But all of that was interrupted because God is like, Adam, I'm looking for you. I'm ready to hang out. And Adam is hiding. And instead of them continuing their communion and communication like they had been doing up until this point, God hears this. I heard your voice, God, but I was afraid, so I hid. Fear comes in because of sin, and this is where all of the problems started. Because of sin, here comes fear, and because of fear, the relationship between Adam and God and Eve and God was damaged, and watch this, the communication was ultimately broken. We know what ultimately happens after this. They no longer have that level of communion with God. They are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and things spiral kind of downhill from there. So what I want you to see is that when sin came into the world, several things began to happen. People began to fear the voice of God and the relationship that God always wanted from the very beginning was distorted. But the good news is that through Jesus Christ, that relationship has been restored. We no longer have to hide from God and we have the ability to hear his voice without fear and without separation. But the point is, Our relationship with him has got to be our highest priority. It's got to be more important than sin and and anything else that the enemy tries to throw our way. Our relationship with him has got to be that important because that's critical to our ability to hear from him on a consistent basis. The same way that the enemy wants to separate, wanted to separate Adam and Eve, to sever that line of communication, to unplug them from the power source, it's the same thing that he wants to do in our life on a consistent basis. This is why our relationship with God has to be the highest priority, number one. Let me give you the second P. Number two, our relationship with God must be our highest pursuit. Our relationship with God must be not only our highest priority, but it must be, number two, our highest pursuit. 
Priority has to do with, with the highest importance. This is important. This is significant. Pursuit, though, is about what we're running after. Pursuit is about what we follow closely. Pursuit is about what we, what we strive for with all of our might. And in order to show this to you, I want you to go back to where we were on last week, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. And I've just been enamored by this passage, and I have been referring to it over uh, the 21 days when I've been leading 6A in prayer, and I've just been spending a lot of time talking about it and meditating on it. And I spent some time last week sharing with you that there's an interesting thing that's happening when Samuel is coming up because God speaks to Samuel, but God doesn't speak to Eli and doesn't speak to the rest of the nation of Israel. And, and we got to examine why. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1 gives us a, an additional clue beyond even what we looked at on last week because it says this, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli, and in those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. God was not speaking very much to the nation, to Eli, to his wicked two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, but God did speak to Samuel. And one big reason is because of what Samuel was doing. That verse says that he ministered before the Lord. What does ministered before the Lord mean? It means a few things. It means, number one, that he was serving in the house of God. That's a whole nother message, a whole nother time. The importance of serving and not sitting. He's serving. That's one, uh, that's one uh, definition of, of what this means in the Hebrew, to minister. He was serving. But this word ministered, before the Lord also means that he was engaged in praise and in worship. This is also significant. It's part of the reason why we had a night of worship to start our 21 days of prayer and fasting. Because worship, in a significant way, speaks to your hunger and your pursuit of God. Let me unpack this for a few minutes. Let me give you a couple of things that I think it's important that we understand because, you know, there are people who say, well, you know, I want to go to worship, and they come to worship, and they leave never really having worshiped at all. There are a number of people who think that worship is kind of like the preamble. It's like the, like the preview of a movie. You know, people say, well, the movie starts at 2.20, but you know, you know they, they got about 15 minutes of previews. So, you know, we don't really have to get there until this time. Some people treat worship that way. You know, they think it's just a warm-up or, let me, you know, I'm just... Let me get here and try to time the teaching or what have you. But no, worship really speaks to your pursuit of God. So when it says that God spoke to Samuel, but he didn't speak to the nation, he didn't speak to Eli, he didn't speak to Hophni and Phinehas, you got to take note of that. Why? One of the reasons is because Samuel ministered before the Lord. Because he was in worship. Why is worship so significant? Let me give you a few reasons. Number one, worship focuses our minds and our spirit on the Lord. So this series is entitled Frequency, and that's one of the things that worship does. Worship tunes us to God's frequency. Why? Because it engages both our mind and our spirit. Both aspects of our nature in worship are directed towards Him. See, in the natural world, if you really wanted to hear someone... First, you would acknowledge that person, right? Then you would give them your full attention. That's what worship does for us. It acknowledges God and it gives him our full attention. 
That's critical if you really want to hear from someone. Something else is that worship magnifies and glorifies the Lord. And I I put scripture references, Psalm 34 and 3. I don't have time to go through that. But you can look at this uh, in your own kind of devotional time. But worship magnifies and glorifies the Lord. And so you will often hear maybe a worship leader say, come on, let us magnify the Lord together or magnify the Lord. And when the Bible instructs us to magnify the Lord, which it does in Psalm 34, oh, magnify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together. It is not saying that we can make God, it doesn't mean that we can make God bigger than he already is. We can't make him any greater than he already is. But what it does mean when we talk about magnifying him, it means that when we honor him with, with, with worship, when we verbalize his greatness, sometimes in worship I'll say, open your mouths and speak well of the Lord. That, that means when we verbalize his greatness, or even when we reflect on his work or reflect on his characteristics, when we do that, what happens is that he becomes larger and more prominent in our own hearts and in our own minds. And when he becomes larger and more prominent in our, in our minds and in our hearts, what happens is that our doubts and our fears and, and, and our limitations and, and our distractions, all of that stuff begins to dissipate. And I shared with you on last week with, with the parable of the sower, it, it's those things that will cloud our ability to really receive from God. But when we magnify the Lord, we're not making him any greater. We're focusing on him until the reality of him becomes greater in our own hearts and in our own minds so that doubt and fear and all of that other stuff begins to dissipate. Give you something else. Worship elevates our perspective. Worship elevates our perspective. It allows you to look at your situation the right way. A lot of times we, we, we feel like we're kind of down looking up, like, oh, Lord, help me with this. When we really, from a seated position, the Bible says we are seated with Christ. We ought to be looking down at our situation. And a part of what worship does is it does, it elevates our perspective. Real worship, real worship will elevate your perspective. You won't, you won't feel overwhelmed by what you're going through, but you'll recognize that, wait a minute, God, you're, you're bigger than this. You're greater than this. How is that? Or where does this come from biblically? Well, let me give you the, the history behind it really quickly. Once a year, and, and I'm excited. Let me just insert this. Next year, I'm going to be leading our, a group in, in our church, and I'll, we'll be talking more and more about it uh, in the weeks to come. Um, but I'll be leading uh, our church for those that want to go. We're, we're going to go to the Holy Land. It's going to be October of next year. It's, it's a life-changing trip. It's definitely one that I think you ought to ought to go to. I always tell people you'll never read the Bible the same, and a lot of these things will come into context. But by way of of understanding the significance of of worship, once a year, historically, Jews that did not live near the Temple Mount, they would make their trek to Jerusalem. There are several instances in Scripture uh, where Mary and, and Joseph did this. Um, and so Jews, it was customary for them to do this. And and the temple The temple at that time, Solomon's temple, was situated at the top of a mountain, right? Even now in Jerusalem, they call it the Temple Mount because it's situated at the top of of the mountain. And as Jews were were climbing this mountain, kind of ascending this mountain uh, to worship, right? Once a year when they would make that trek, what they would sing are the Psalms of Ascent. 
the Psalms of Ascent. There are 15 Psalms of Ascent. Psalms 120 through 134 are the Psalms of Ascent. And so the idea was that as they were um, going up the mountain to go to worship, the idea was that with every word they sang and with every step they took, they were getting closer and closer, not just to the physical temple, but to the presence of the Lord. This is one of the reasons why we sing scripture. We sing songs that are, are scripturally based and rooted in the word of God because that's what they used to do. The Psalms are, are songs. They're worship songs. So as they were going to worship, imagine it as they were kind of walking in the lobby or coming into one of our campuses. With every step, they'd be singing a psalm. Now today in worship, we don't have to climb a mountain. We don't physically ascend, but we do spiritually ascend. We draw nearer to God. So it's kind of like a mountain has a broad base at the bottom. In worship, we're spiritually ascending up to that mountain. So as we, as we sing songs that focus us on God, as, as we get vertical and, and, and talk about how good he is and focus on his, his character, we're, we're, we're narrowing our focus until he is the only thing that we're focused on. And in that place, when he alone is, is in our sights, that's the place so often where God will speak. Are you following me? Is this, y'all with me? Kind of quiet tonight, okay. Here's the last thing about worship, and then we're almost done. God inhabits the praises of his people. Psalm 22 and verse 3. As we worship and give praise to, to the Lord, two significant things happen. One, there's a bowing of our hearts and a bowing of our will and a bowing of just our physical bodies. When, when you come into the presence of a king, you bow. You know, when the presence of the Lord is, is in worship and we're continuing to worship him, our posture changes. Physically, our posture changes, but, but even internally. It's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's about him. That happens. The other thing that happens, though, is that praise and worship literally becomes a throne for God to sit on. That's what Psalm 22 and verse 3 means when it, when it says that he is enthroned in the praises of his people or he inhabits the praises of his people. It, it literally means that as we are giving praise and as we are giving worship, God finds a place to rest. This is so often why when you're in your individual time of worship, some of the most powerful times of encounters with God have been happening at 6 a.m. prayer. And we always start off with worship. We start off with worship before we go into individual prayer because, because that level of praise, that level of worship, God inhabits it. Meaning we create a place for him to sit down. I was trying to figure out how to really describe this to you, and, and I'm sorry to tell you that I do like Game of Thrones, and so if you don't like Game of Thrones, you know, forgive me. Um, I hope that you don't feel like that's not pastoral to watch Game of Thrones, but I do. I, I really like Game of Thrones. I'm, I kind of came into it late, but, uh, you know, my wife and I, we love it, you know, and it's interesting that, that, that if you know anything about uh, Game of Thrones, or just kings of old, kings and queens of old. They would always have a really big, ornate seat to sit in. You know, the, the, the queen has, a, has an ornate place to sit. And it's not just a regular chair. It's an ornate chair. It's, 
It's a significant chair because they're a queen. It's the same thing for, for our praise. God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so he's looking for a place for his presence, his glory to rest. And our praise, our worship creates that environment. So I, told, I wanted to go through all of this because, once again, all of this speaks to pursuit. When it says that Samuel ministered before the Lord, what he's literally doing is he's saying, God, I, I want you. I, I, I got to have you. I'm, I'm hungry for your, for your presence. And, and he's worshiping. And in worship, he's creating this atmosphere for God to speak to him. But here's the other thing about pursuit. If you drop down to 1 Samuel 3 and verse 3, we looked at verse 1, but in verse 3 it says, The lamp of God had not yet gone out yet. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. So, so he ministered before the Lord. God speaks. Samuel says, Here I am. There's another significant point that I want you to see when it says that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. That's important too. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, the priest would light the lamps in the evening, and they would burn all night, and, and normally the wick would burn out early morning right before dawn. So when it says that, that the lamp had not yet gone out, when Samuel's ministering before the Lord and God speaks to him, what does that mean? It literally means that early in the morning he was in pursuit of God. Now, let me say this. The Bible doesn't say that you have to pray and you have to seek God at a certain time. It doesn't say that. It doesn't matter what time of day you do it. What's most important is that you do have time with the Lord. But the Bible is very clear consistently that a number of individuals that commune with God regularly, they did it in the morning. David, early in the morning. One of my favorite scriptures is when David says, early in the morning. Will I seek your face and lay my request before you and wait in expectation? The Bible would often show how Jesus would get up early and spend time with God. And so there is that pattern, you know, and there's some reasoning behind it. Early in the morning, you know, generally there are fewer distractions. It's one of the precious things about 6 a.m. prayer because when when you get it in at 6 a.m., you know, it really just, it happens before the distractions and the busyness of the calendar uh, neuroscientists have proven that for many people, early in the morning is the best time for mental absorption because, you know, throughout the course of the day, you don't retain things uh, the same way. Uh, if you've got a good night's rest, then early in the morning is great because you wake up refreshed and ready to go. And that's also really important in your ability to hear from the Lord. But I think one of the most powerful components about spending time with God early in the morning and hearing from him is really the principle of first fruits. And the principle of first fruits is really simple. It comes directly from Romans 11 and verse 16, and it, it's what you do with the first determines the rest. That's what the principle of first fruits is about. Romans 11 and 16 says, if the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, then so are the branches. Meaning, whatever you do with the first determines whether or not God puts the blessing on the rest. So Samuel is up early in the morning before the wick goes out. Or dawn, ministering before the Lord. Why? Because he's in pursuit of them. It's so easy to hit snooze and roll over. Come on and talk to me. But like, you got to really want to hear from the Lord. I mean, you got to like, God, I need you right, right now. Jesus, I need, you got to really want to hear from him. 
to, to push sleep out, to get out your bed. Amen. Married, married couples understand what I'm talking about. Amen. 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 To really get out of the bed and say, God, I want you. That's pursuit. Hey, a few chuckles. You know, just, I guess the single people mad. Is that what it is? I'm like, man. Here we go. Here's the last one. Our relationship with God, number one, must be our highest priority. It must be, number two, our highest pursuit. But then lastly, as I close, our relationship with God must be our highest passion. If you really want to hear from God, it's got to be your highest passion. Priority is about level of importance. God, you're important. You're, you're, you're so important that I don't want anything to distract or to disrupt my, my ability to hear from you. That no matter how pleasurable the enemy wants me to think that sin is, I don't want to do anything that's going to separate me from you. That's priority. Pursuit. God, I want you more than anything else. So I'll press my way and get up early. I'll carve out time during lunch because your voice is that valuable to me and our relationship is that important that I'm after you. Whether there are three people in a room or 30,000, I want to lean into worship. I, I, I want to focus on you. I want to bless you. I want to magnify you. I want to worship. That's pursuit. But passion is about what stirs our greatest feelings of love and devotion. Passion is what really fuels our pursuit. When we're passionate about something, that's where our motivation springs from. So then, let's look at this last scripture as I close. Luke 10 and verse 38. I love this. It says, Now it happened that as they went, he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also, watched this, sat at Jesus' feet and did what? Heard his word. But Martha was distracted with so much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, I, don't, I can't prove their ethnicity, but every time I read anything about Mary and Martha, I just I envision the head bobbing, you know. Lord, do you not care? You know, it's like she's throwing shade, isn't she? Do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Therefore, tell her to help me, Jesus. She won't listen to me, but she'll listen to you, so tell her to get, get in this kitchen. But watch what Jesus answered and said to her. Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. See, the key is, he says, one thing is needed. One thing is needed. One translation even says she's chosen the most important thing. See, life has a way of trying to force us to be Martha when what we really need is to be Mary. And isn't it interesting? Mary's at his feet hearing him. Martha's in the kitchen doing some great stuff. Jesus is here, I want to I, I fix him a great meal, I want to make sure that the house is right. And he says, yeah, that's cool. But what's really most important is what Mary's doing. So here's the question. 
Who are you? Take, take inventory of the pace of your life. The rhythm of what you do on a day-to-day basis. Who do you look more like? Do you look more like Martha? Do you look more like Mary? Because when we talk about our relationship with, with God has to be our highest passion. It means that you've got to choose him above the dishes. Truthfully, the dishes can wait. The other stuff can wait. It, it really can wait. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.